Hi, Ren. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to speak with you. It hasn't been that long, actually. No, I don't think it has. Last time we spoke, you were interviewing me for the latest issue of your magazine, Man's World, the fourth issue, and now the tables are turned. I know. You have to be gentle with me. <laughs> I will, promise. You were with me, so it's only fair that I would. Exactly. That was really lots of fun, and the issue is it brilliant.、Was. Thank you, thank you. I, re- I really enjoyed doing it. It's a huge amount of work, but、uh, I think in the end it's worth it. So this was the fourth, and it was your biggest yet, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was. Yes, I, lo- I looked at the statistics today, and、uh, we've had upwards of about sixteen thousand views of the flipbook version, which is like an, an interactive magazine where you can turn the pages in lieu of the fact that I don't have physical copies at the moment. I also had. Four, five thousand individual downloads as well of the file itself. So that's pretty good for a nobody publishing the the fourth issue of his、uh, magazine that he's just pulled out of thin air. Well, first of all, it's brilliant, and second of all, you're not a nobody. I don't know where the <laughs> hell that comes from, but、uh, for the listeners who don't know, Ren stands for Raw Egg Nationalist, and、uh, you've built quite a presence over the past year or so. And I really enjoy your content and following you online, and、Thank、we、you. share a lot of similar interests. So it was a lot of fun to be a part of your fourth issue, and a great honor. Especially, I believe I was the first woman to contribute. Yes, yes,、so、you were. Yeah, you have the high honor. High, high honor. Absolutely, <laughs> that's how I feel. No, it, it was wonderful, and it was just. I mean, I felt when we when we were doing the interview, we could have spoken for. Hours and hours more about the topics we're passionate about. So, tell me a bit about for the for the listeners what your main interests are and the focus of your work, so that they can understand and perhaps the ethos behind、mm. the infamous moniker "raw egg nationalist." Well, so I, I I suppose really I'm I'm at the intersection of fitness or health and health and politics. So. The moniker "raw egg nationalist" and the movement "raw egg nationalism" is about the way that fitness, or the, the the fitness of the individual, is an integral part of fitness of the political entity, the nation. I actually I actually prepared a little stump speech so I could better explain what raw egg nationalism is, because a few people have said to me, "Oh, you need to come up with a, a really pithy statement of what raw egg nationalism is for the next time you go on a podcast," because I do have a tendency sometimes to ramble a little bit. So, I wouldn't call it that, but it's very interesting every time we've spoken on the phone. But please go ahead if you have an elevator pitch prepared. I do. Yeah, it's only two hundred and fifty words. Okay, go so, for it. <clears throat> Imagine a world where politicians, in league with corporations, pursue their own interests with no genuine concern for the lives or livelihoods of the people they claim to serve. Imagine a world where, instead of trusting and empowering individuals to look after themselves and their families, politicians and corporations foster extreme dependency by peddling ad hoc treatments instead of solutions to the underlying problems. Where the public is stuffed with Frankenstein foods and dosed with pills. While the nutritious, life-preserving foods that sustained their ancestors for millennia are slandered and treated as the opposite. Now imagine a world where this twisted regime does all these things and more, in open furtherance of a plan to destroy the nations and usher in a new form of global government—a tyranny which will be unlike any seen before. Well, you don't have to imagine any of this, because this is what's actually taking place here now. 
more or less everywhere you live. I like to call this regime soy globalism, and it's the opposite of everything raw egg nationalists stand for. Raw egg nationalists know that the only way to resist the globalist game of divide and rule is a strong politics of nationalism. For all his faults and missteps, Trump was totally right in putting America first, and there could be no stronger confirmation of this than the desperate all-or-nothing scheming and sabotage his opponents engaged in to hamper him while he was in office and prevent him from gaining a second term. But a nation is only as strong as the individuals who make it up, and this is where the eggs come in. In truth, eggs are a superfood, packed with protein, healthy fat, vitamins, minerals, and anabolic cholesterol. The absolute opposite of the disgusting podder globalists like Klaus Schwab would have you eat. By following the wisdom of classic bodybuilders like Vince Gironda and consuming large quantities of raw eggs, raw egg nationalists are able to build the healthy, strong bodies and resilient, independent minds they need to fight the Great Reset and usher in a pro-human future. That's it. <laughs> Brilliant. You summarized exactly what we study, you know, about the 20th century and the culmination of the past 20 months in that statement. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I thought long that, you know, it's hard. It's much harder to write a um, short speech than it is a long speech. That's something Winston Churchill famously observed. And uh, encapsulating what I actually believe in a pithy statement that is, isn't totally insane was actually quite difficult, but I hope I managed it. Absolutely, you did. It's, it's a great summary, as I just mentioned, of the past hundred years and everything we discussed on our different phone calls before mm. and in the article. Yeah. Our article for your for your magazine, and you nailed it when you say that they've done everything to weaken us, yes. uh, spiritually, physically, mentally. Everything was done to undermine us on purpose. Yes. Well, very interesting. Actually, I saw something on Twitter the other day which really made me stop and uh, and take stock. There was a piece about, or there was an extract from a book. I never found out what the book was, but it was it was about Lyndon B. Johnson and about inflation and i don't know at what point in the in the johnson presidency but inflation was was a problem and the price of goods was uh, prices of goods were increasing massively including eggs and so lyndon b johnson said to his doctors i don't know to the chief medical officer or whoever uh, in the us that he should start pushing the cholesterol theory of or the, the theory that the cholesterol in eggs makes them unhealthy so you know you've got this this situation where actually uh what amounts to a total lie about eggs that they're that they're unhealthy because they because they contain large amounts of cholesterol is is deliberately pushed by the government precisely to to stave off a political crisis and it's it's very very interesting the way that nutrition and politics intersect and the kinds of things that people are told to put in their bodies mm -hmm. uh, at particular times and why or not put in their bodies i don't think we've talked about this before you and i but Actually, one of my first red pills was sugar Yeah. and that whole topic. And I went into a deep dive. That was a few years ago now. And mm -hmm. I saw all the machinations to try to portray fat as the culprit mm. of all the health issues that were arising in well, the population. Well, causing them. Causing yeah, them. exactly. Yeah. And uh, they were trying to pit it on fat. Yes, saturated fat in particular. So animal products. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and you could see already how politics and the food industry yes. were in cahoots, essentially, and uh, that we were effectively being poisoned. 
properly mm. poisoned and then that opens up a can of worms and then I started looking at aspartame you know and the whole role that Donald Rumsfeld played into that oh and I didn't know I didn't know about Donald Rumsfeld and mm -hmm. uh, aspartame that's uh... yeah he lobbied for it to be accepted by the FDA it was mm. a whole thing and he clearly had a yeah. vested interest aspartame is bad stuff very, very 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 bad for your gut no, no, I mean, this this whole story is so sinister. I'd encourage uh, you and listeners to go and look at this link with Donald Rumsfeld and, and the FDA, all the research that proves that it leads to also brain damage, brain cancers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the history of, of the second half of the 20th century really is, certainly the history of food, is basically an inversion of everything that is true, everything all the most nutritious foods have been absolutely demonized and, and, and slandered. The food pyramid should be turned upside down. That's, that's a very basic statement. Yeah, and it comes back to everything we discussed and that you put in the article or interview about the eugenics uh, program mm. uh, that has been in the making for over yes. a century. And yes. how, I mean, I, I, I told you, and I didn't mince my words, but I really do believe that this is a, an evil machination that is being done deliberately to control uh, populations. Quote, mm. that's, the, that's the educated version or yeah. term for eugenics. Yeah, well, there's absolutely, there's absolutely no doubt that um, standard nutritional information that has been given out since the 1950s has been a disaster across the board for the health of people in the developed world. Mm -hmm. and, and all of the diseases, so-called diseases of prosperity that we see are at such incredibly high levels because people are following that advice, because they consume vegetable oils, because they are cutting out healthy sources of, of fat and, and animal protein and cholesterol, you know, eating, eating these appalling new frankenfoods, these new varieties of wheat, for instance, that are absolutely nothing like the varieties of wheat that our ancestors ate and that are laced with, with chemicals like atrazine and glyphosate. And it's just, it, it, they couldn't have created a less healthy way for people to eat if they if they'd tried. And so... It, and it obviously begs the question, maybe that's what they were trying to do. Absolutely. To, to, to sicken people as much as possible. Yeah, and then they send us to the pharma companies to mm. get all their pills on the other side, and they're all just profiting off of our ill health, and yes. uh, it's one big machine. And when you think they can't push this evil scheme further... People like Bill Gates, I mean, who we know is just a front man at the end of the day, they're coming yes. up with like their fake meat and, as you said, the whole industry of soy, which yes. is completely, now we go back to the conversation that we have about masculinity yeah. and everything mm. and all these endocrine uh, disruptors Yes. Uh, and the feminization I mean, of men. I think, I think endocrine disruptors, understanding just how widespread endocrine disruptors are is a huge, huge red pill, or it should be for people. Mm -hmm. You know, that ev everywhere you look, in every kind of product that you look at, whether, whether you're talking about food, food storage, whether you're talking about cosmetics, you'll find these chemicals in abundance that are known to, to have appalling gender-bending effects that make men's penises shrink, make them grow breasts, lower their testosterone levels. I mean, it's just, if people knew... I think people can't imagine that, quote, the government or the people that are ruling over us could yes. put in place something, A, so evil, 
and B, that it could be perpetuated over or across several generations. And this goes to the basic, most basic point, the fact that essentially the world is being run by a cult behind the scenes. And when you say cult, you, you take into account uh, a belief system that then can get perpetuated across mm. generations. And they sincerely yes. believe in their sick, twisted yes. uh, cult that they have this duty or this power or mm. this mission to yes. oversee the governance of the world and of all of us. Yes, they do. Well, I mean, it's interesting what you were saying right at the very beginning about there being a credibility or a credulity gap, whatever you want to call it. People just can't, just can't fathom. see. They yeah. can't fathom it. Yes, that's exactly. And what has been interesting over the past 18 months has been to observe just how asleep people still are after, after everything that has happened in the last 18 months. And recently, for instance, these revelations that, that without a shadow of a doubt, prove that the virus was was engineered in a, in a laboratory in China, gain-of-function research, that it is basically a bioweapon that has escaped. I mean, you'd, you'd think that people would be freaking out. But no, nothing. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, seem, to, it doesn't seem to have registered. I, I don't know what will shake people out of their slumber, whether it's even possible. I mean, on a positive note, the last 18 months, 20 months have woken up yes. um, a lot of people. Yes. And we are more than we know, or rather we are yes. more than they want us to know mm. that we are. But yes, it's, it's incredibly distressing to see that mm. a lot of people are still under this yes. spell. And we really wonder what is it going to take to snap these people out of it because it's just but this is the problem with this triangle yeah. hold on the media because there it's just yeah. everything is being drowned well i think well i think and also i think that precisely this attitude of passivity is exactly what successive regimes whatever whatever you want to call them have been trying to foster i mean i, I think that these people are the ideal subjects of global government in a way these are precisely the sort of uh this, this, these are the human fodder for the globalist regime. So I, I, I think they've succeeded in that regard. But I think if you're a student of history and if you look at things like the American Revolution and other revolutions and other great events in history, it doesn't take many people. It takes, what, 3%? Is it the 3% as the militia? I'm not sure what was the percentage, but I know it's under 10%. Yes, yeah. I mean, a, a small percentage of very determined, well-organized, disciplined people can achieve a huge amount. And, and yes, I do, I do think that despite the majority or maybe uh, 45% of people still being totally asleep, then we're, we're reaching a critical mass. Absolutely. That's the key term. We are reaching a critical mass. And this is what enables me to continue to be highly optimistic. I mean, mm. granted, I think for all of us, there are moments where it feels like this is interminable. Yes, interminable. And that's interminable. exactly how it does feel. But um, I'm really sustained by uh, this faith that I have that we will succeed at the end. That the only thing, obviously, mm. that there are consequences we have to come to terms with that will be irreversible mm. and that we cannot even measure. 
you know, the consequences on, on children who have been made to wear masks, you know, from birth, yes. etc. There are so many things we can't even imagine, but we have to remain optimistic. And um, Yes. Well, it's clear if you look at, if you look, for instance, if you go back at endocrine disruptors, then the extent of the pollution is, is so great that, as you say, I mean, there's no solving that problem in the short term. The, the, damage, the damage has been done and the damage is catastrophic. I mean, we're, it's going to take a long time to clean all the plastic out of the oceans and it w- would take a very long time to move from an economy that's built around the use of plastics that by their very nature require gender-bending chemicals like phthalates to manufacture to, to move to an economy where we use products that aren't harmful intrinsically to, to, to all life. But that's a hope that we that we have to maintain that we can do that because I think the alternative is is too awful really to think about. You know, coming back to the comment about snapping people out of this spell, mm. it's really when you look at all the concerted effort to desensitize us to all of this, so that yes. nobody's really shocked anymore or mm. kind of is apathetic to it all. Yes. And the one thought that came to my mind is everything that has to do with predictive or preemptive programming, because at the end of the day, everything they're doing right now, it wasn't hidden. No. But it was was pushed in a way that normalized it almost, Mm. that people wouldn't be shocked. mm. Well, this is the the funny thing, isn't it? I mean, if you you had... If you try to talk to people, ordinary people, let's say, about predictive programming, then they'll just look at you like you're absolutely mad. But so much of this, so much of what has happened has very, very definitely been foreshadowed or even quite literally predicted in the writings of prominent globalists and and also in, in events like Event 201 which there's actually an article about in Man's World Issue 4, a very good article by a friend of mine called Eugippius, about this bizarre event that took place in New York in a, in a ritzy hotel involving all sorts of senior people from the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Control uh, and also the Chinese CDC. And, and it, it, it Bill was and a, Melinda Gates Foundation. It was found, found and Gavi, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. All of, all of these different, all of these... Um, Sort of ramifying connections. Anyway, you know this this event predicting a global pandemic of a of a of a respiratory coronavirus was taking place at the time the initial outbreak was happening in Wuhan, with the knowledge of one of the participants. Yeah, I mean it's. No, no. I mean, and you tell this to people, and people don't. Mm. It, it's it doesn't register. Um, no. And we're called conspiracy theorists, no. and uh, it's just insane because. They wrote about all their plans and about yes. their desire to, quote, control the population. Mm. Again, yeah. the softened yeah. term for eugenics. And, yeah. you know, it's, for example, in the UK, because uh, I know you're familiar with what goes on over there. But a lot of people don't know that uh, Boris Johnson's father was like a major eugenicist. He wrote a novel about a global pandemic about the Marburg virus. I mean, the, the, inter- the interesting thing, or one of the things that, that fascinates me about this cabal is the extent to which they're... Well, just how far back in history you can, you can trace their ideas. And this is something that I've written about in my new cookbook. <laughs> Tell <laughs> us about the new cookbook. Well, yeah. first of all, we have to talk about the first 
cookbook briefly, but then I want to sure. hear all about the new one. So I have yeah. the first one, which is beautiful. Yeah. The cover, the pictures inside. Thank you. Yeah, the, the publisher did a really good job with the cover. The cover looks fantastic. It's really, it's kind of kitschy, but in, in the best possible way. And it's, it's very, very striking. So it's, it's, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's an image of 36 broken eggs lined up in six rows of six, which is uh, a reference to Vince Gironda's 36 egg a day bodybuilding diets, which is which features in the book. Um, but it's a it's a strange book. It's a mixture of it's a mixture of a cookbook and a political manifesto. So it's an updated version of my first book, which I released in August of last year, which I self-published on Amazon and which was a really a runaway success, much to my um, much to my great surprise. I, I thought I thought nobody would nobody would read it. I started off by giving it away for free, you know, just as a free download, and then people said they'd like a paperback version, so I made a paperback version, and that started to sell well, and it's still selling well. But anyway, I decided that I wanted to update it and make it into a since it was part cookbook, I wanted to make it into a like a hardcover coffee table cookbook, partly because I thought actually that would make it an ideal vehicle for for red pilling normies. Uh, basically, you know, you, you have this really plush-looking cookbook, and it just looks like a normal cookbook, and it could be on anybody's table, and anybody could pick it up and then start reading about um, the globalists. Eugenics. Yeah, the globalists, eugenics, Plato's Republic, uh, Zenistrogens, yeah, endocrine disruptors, and all that kind of stuff, and the Great Reset. So, I think it's actually, it's actually. Um, it's quite clever, if I say it's so myself. It's extremely <laughs> clever and stylish, and it Thank sits you. proudly at my house. And uh, I've sent I've sent the link, and I have a few friends who've gotten copies. And obviously, I'm going to put Amazing. a link in the description. But so tell Amazing. us about the second cookbook. Uh, well, well, so this is the first cookbook. So I did this first cookbook in August of 2020, and then I I've. Um, I've updated it totally, so I've added new recipes, uh, not, not just raw egg recipes, also cooked egg recipes, recipes for cocktails, uh, desserts, oh, special wait. ice creams. Ren, you know what I really want to try? In uh, Man's World <laughs> issue four, there is a Negroni with an egg, with yes. a raw egg at the beginning of the, yes. of the issue. I really ne want to try that. Negroni flip. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. Yeah. It makes it, um, I mean, I, I love Negronis because they're, they're, they're so sort of medicinal and uh, they're, they're so bitter and, and uh, you know, it's a real, uh, real sort of acquired taste. But when you add an egg to it, it almost makes it like, uh, I don't know if you ever had sugar-laced cough syrup as a child. There used to be this uh, cough syrup in, in, uh, in the UK called Tixie Licks that I used, to, I, used to, I used to go to the cupboard and have spoonfuls of it even when I didn't have a cough. It was so, it was so delicious. Okay. And that, that is what a Negroni flip reminds me of. It's like a sort of thick cough syrup it's really nice wait i have a favor to ask you before i'm so sorry i took us away from the cookbook the new one no, and i want to know about it's it fine. but i do have one favor to ask you my favorite drink is um a whiskey sour so can Lovely. you find the definite recipe with obviously mm. the egg and put it in one of your next issues i yeah okay yeah for you i'll put it in issue five <laughs> okay yeah. amazing thanks yep i really want a good uh recipe for that yeah, I will find I will find one. I know a few bartenders, so I can uh, yeah, I'll I'll come up with something good. Okay, super the Noor special. Yeah, it's really my it. favorite. It's my go-to. The whiskey Noor. 
Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about the second cookbook. Yeah, so it's it's a massively updated and extended version of the original paperback that I wrote. And I um, and what I did not only did I add more recipes, so there are at least a dozen recipes that don't feature in the paperback, and they're all packaged in a in a totally different way. I mean, it, it is a glossy cookbook with full cover with uh, full color, full page pictures, high quality glossy images. I mean, it, it's it's as it's as good a cookbook as any you would buy in a in a bookstore. But I've also extended the discussion of raw egg nationalism and developed the discussion of raw egg nationalism as a doctrine. And I, uh, I talk at length about Plato's Republic, which is something that I didn't discuss in the, in the first book because I, I had forgotten that actually Plato talks about diet at a, at a reasonable length in the Republic. And he actually says some stuff that's quite, maybe chilling is the wrong word, but it has very strong echoes of uh, the Great Reset today. So much so that I actually give the section where I talk about Plato, the heading, Plato's Republic, the first great reset, question mark. Because he talks about how in, in the ideal republic, the workers should be given a grain diet, a predominantly grain, or to- totally, totally vegetarian diet, but predominantly made up of grains, to ensure that they are docile enough and, and don't rebel against their lot. And, and, and it's actually said that if they're given meat, then they would become dissatisfied with their loss and, and that would sort of bring about the end of the ideal republic. So it's very interesting to see in black and white from, you know, 330 BC or whenever the, whenever the republic was written, somebody expressing exactly the same ideas that, that seem to lie behind the Great Reset today and, and all of the, the you know, fourth agricultural revolution or whatever they're calling it, where every, everybody's going to be eating um, GM glyphosate-laden wheat and soy and maybe a little bit of insect meal and some 3D-printed protein on a, a Christmas. You know, Ren, your work is so interesting, and you use the word at the beginning of the conversation, intersection, and you're mm. really at the intersection coming from that perspective from our diets mm. and then how it touches on so many different things in the political landscape and talking yes. about meat and seeing this whole craze around people being vegan and this mm. being pushed, and then you look at the whole climate change yes. um, hoax, because it is a proper hoax. Mm. And it just, from that angle that you study, and you can expose how all of these lies, or why all of these lies were, were put in place. Yes. Well, it, I mean, it's a, it's a whole complex of... It's a whole complex of ideas. I mean, people people tend to people tend to look at me rather strangely when I when I suggest that you know politics and food are very very much <laughs> are very very much intertwined. But 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 they really are, and uh, it shows actually in a sense how debased our understanding of politics has become. That we don't, for instance, look at our at the at the physiognomy of our political leaders and ask whether that might have something to do with maybe with the kind of politics that we're, that we're subjected to. You know, it, all of our, or the vast majority of our political betters and, and uh, betters more generally are hideously ugly and misshapen. But as a society, all of us, you look at, you look at pictures mm. of uh, populations 100 years yes. ago compared to yes. today. The yes. physiognomy has changed so drastically. Yes, it has. Yes, and it has. It's just not a coincidence, you know, we, we, we chew less, also for yes. our children, there are so many, you look at orthodontics, and you look at the, the number of children, 
that need braces or corrective, you know, mm. treatments, etc., because they're not made to mm. chew from an early age anymore. Yep. And it has so many other ramifications. Yes, it does. I, I mean, I, I, I genuinely do think that you can divide people along political lines just by looking at them. I, I don't. That, that's a, that's a statement I absolutely believe in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you if you look at, for instance, and if you doubt this, and go and look at the Antifa mugshots that were taken from the 2020 summer of mostly peaceful protests. <laughs> You know, I mean, look at them, look at them, because there are hundreds and hundreds of pictures, and you can and find me one attractive or healthy-looking person. I, 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 yeah, I really, I, I dare you. You won't be able to. No, completely. And you look at people, you know, the opposite of what they're trying to label us conservatives or Trump supporters, etc. They try to label us as whatever terrorists, etc., and these angry people, which couldn't be further from the truth. Like you look at a Trump rally or yes. you know, gatherings, everybody's happy and yeah. joyful and yep. enthusiastic. And this is this is one of the statistics I, I repeated ad nauseum on every interview and every talk that I do. But for all the the lies that are being spread, I can give you like one statistic, and it was um, originally. I mean, Gateway Pundit did a whole article about this in the fall, uh, or earlier this year, rather. And um, between September and uh, election, so 2020, there was about 80 Trump rallies in total, Mm. gathering 1.1 million patriots. Amazing. Not a single act of violence. Mm. Not one. Yeah. And yeah, just, I mean, because the movement is not about violence at all. And uh, I mean, we this this is a whole other conversation we could have about you know all the lies surrounding one mm. uh, six, which I always talk about as well because it just makes me so upset. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's yeah, you it's know. very. I, yeah, I, I yeah, I don't really know what to say about about January the sixth. It's yeah. it's. I mean, it's, it's well, yeah. Let's let's not let's not get too yeah, deep we, into no, that. No, no, no. Uh, That'll be for another talk. Anyway, yeah. I mention it on every call. My listeners know. Uh, a lot about it already and I had that Darren was my first uh, was my first guest on the podcast so we talked about that but the only thing we can say is that every single day more and more information comes to light that this was a pure FBI you know yes. operation at the end of the day um, yeah but yeah there's uh, this I think this this will be a huge thing as it continues to unravel that will also be a big red pill mm. for a lot of people well I- interestingly enough uh, with regard to the election, then now there are political commentators in the UK. Rod Little, for instance, who writes the Times. Did yeah. you see? Yeah. Yeah, I saw. Political commentators now in this country are saying, "Well, it's actually clear that the election was stolen from Trump." Listen, I don't know what's going on in the UK, but there's really a lot of funny business over there. But I tell you, always, always has been. Always, always has been. been. I mean, yeah, we, that's another. It's, a, whole it's, the, it's the global. It's the global epicenter of funny business. It's the globalists epicenter of funny business and on that note uh, i encourage people to go listen to my first call with uh, richard poe also on the podcast and i'm going to be doing another one with him soon uh, on this topic but um no i saw that and the one thing that i will say so that we don't open this whole discussion about funny business Mm. Uh, coming out of the UK, one thing I will say on a much, much more superficial level is that I have no time for all those 
so-called conservatives, uh, commentators, etc., who mocked everybody who was saying that the election was stolen, mm. uh, and similarly who did not stand up for the upstanding citizens yes. who have been persecuted uh, following mm. one six. I mean, events events like that though are, in in a way. They, they serve a ben- beneficial effect because they reveal who you can really trust, who is really on your yeah. side and who isn't. And that, that's, that's definitely the case with the election and, and perhaps even more so with January the 6th. With the entire Trump era. Trump, this yeah. has been one of the greatest things President Trump has done. Uh, mm. It has been to show us all the corruption and all the mm. phoniness and who is actually on the right side or not. Mm. Yes, I, I, I don't think that his presidency was an unmitigated disaster. I, I think that he, he didn't achieve a lot of things he set out to achieve, obviously. I, and I think, he, I think he could have done more. I think he should have done more about big tech. But I, I think that we have, we, we have a lot of things to be thankful for, too. I still have a lot of faith. And I do view his first term in a much more positive light than a lot of people in the right yes. do, because I... I do see it as part of a bigger plan, and uh, I think we are not yet done seeing the positive ramifications of everything he brought to the surface. Mm. And there is there is so much one can do in a certain period of time, and uh, there is also many things I think that he has done that we will mm. be seeing come one to of, the One fore. of the things one of the things that happened too is that. Everything that would have happened if Hillary Clinton had got in in 2016 is being done now at, a, at an accelerated pace. Yes. So it's... Listen, if it had been Hillary, we would already all be uh, either yeah. vaccinated or in those FEMA yeah. or whatever caps. But what, 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 I, what, I, what I mean is that because they're pushing the pace so hard, mm-hmm. it's re- I, think it, I think it's really... It's, it reeks really, of desperation, doesn't it? It reeks of desperation, and also I think it's forcing people to confront reality in a way that they wouldn't if these changes had been implemented incrementally. Within a year of, well, it's not even been a year since Biden was inaugurated, America is a different country installed. on the national state. Yeah, installed. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, what a change yeah. in nine months. I mean, to any American who actually feels like an American, who actually feels that there's something to be proud of to be an American. This must be such a, such a terrible time. I mean, I, you know that I don't have uh, American citizenship and I'm a patriot at heart, mm. uh, but uh, it's excruciating watching mm. what they are doing to this country. And mm. um, I know Dan Lyman wrote about yeah. it for um, issue four as well, yes. uh, about yes, immigration. Did. Invasion, rather. This is a proper invasion. And watching the, the numbers and the people flood in every day, I mean, is, um, yeah. it did you pains see, me so much. Did you see the pictures today that were doing the rounds on Twitter of the cartel people standing on the opposite bank of the river taunting the uh, border guards? No, I haven't yet. Yeah, they're, doing, they're just doing the rounds at the moment on Twitter. Pictures of, of cartel members openly standing there in you know body armour with their... AK-47s and weaponry taunting the border guards on the other side after they've sent a load of um, migrants across the river. Listen, the entire situation right now, my heart really breaks for all the brave patriots who have Mm. dedicated their entire lives 
to their country to be treated this way, to be persecuted, yes. and and this is what I wrote on Twitter a couple of times, and also one of the things I said in on the war room when the whole Afghanistan broke out. But mm. the the silver lining, I I'm always very positive, and I always you know I'm I'm quite upbeat, even though it's yes. it's, it's really painful what's going on, but. The American people and the world, because this is a whole globalist thing, obviously. But I focus focusing on the on the situation in America following the Afghanistan uh, operation. You really see that the American people are coming to the realization that the people that have been placed to rule over them for so many decades have systematically acted against their interests. Yes, and the world is waking up to mm. to the realization that our rulers, coming back to the beginning of our conversations and to your incredible uh, statement and manifesto <laughs> that you read, our rulers have systematically done everything to yes. harm us. Yes, you see that you see the 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 sort of the common cynical or apathetic view is just that these people are hugely incompetent, mm-hmm. and and that's more or less tenable. I mean, if you look at politicians in in the UK, for instance. They they don't inspire confidence. You look at them and they look, um, and especially conservative politicians. But I, I think politicians of all stripes they they look they just look silly. They look cheap and and sort of tawdry. But but actually, I think that the that the the deeper truth is that it's not incompetence. It's partially incompetence, but it's I mean the minions. It's malice. It's malice. Yeah, the minions. The minions are grotesque. So yes. when I say minions, I mean Boris Johnson. Trudeau, all these people, they are minions, and they clearly, especially Boris, um, they appear as truly grotesque caricatures. Yeah. Uh, well, but was, have you have you seen this video of him um, eating fish and chips? Have you seen that? No. There's a video that Boris Johnson released. I think it was yesterday or possibly the day before, of him eating fish and chips, and the slogan. I think he either says it or it comes up on the screen. Build back. Batter, like you know, fish batter. My goodness, I can't stand. I can't stand <laughs> these people. I cannot stand mm. that slogan. Yes, awful, it's awful. it's it's awful, and um, they keep repeating it. They keep trying mm. to push this great reset. And I don't know about uh, you or listeners, uh, but I'm stocking up on water, a few essentials, foods, etc., because just like event two hundred one. They had their cyber polygon, yes, crash cyber attack simulation, and who knows what else they have in store? Because as you say, they're desperate, mm. and uh, yes, they the, the the Trump era was such a shakeup in their plans because it mm. did wake up so many people and gave mm. strength to people to speak up yes. and fight back. So we have to brace and. As optimistic as I am that we will prevail, and the faith that I have that we will prevail, there are going to be a few months ahead of us that yes. will will be a bit painful. Yes, to, I mean, to I mean, part of, part of uh, part of my political philosophy and part of the philosophy that I'm that, I, that I'm advocating is self-reliance and resilience. I mean, I I do think that weaning yourself off all of these awful foods that you buy in the supermarket can only be for the best. I mean, the, the more food you can grow at home, the more you can buy from local producers. Yes. I mean, I, I get most of my food from local farms. I get my eggs, I get raw milk. I, I make food myself. I make yogurt from raw milk, all sorts of stuff like that. I make fermented foods. And, and, Excellent. 
you know, it's, it's, it's such a wonderful feeling to harvest fruit and vegetables from your own garden, n knowing exactly what's gone into them yes. and exactly what hasn't gone into them. But this um, is exactly what they tried to disconnect us from. Yes. I mean, there are, there, I think there are places in the U.S. where it is illegal to grow vegetable, fruit and vegetables in your own garden, where there are, you know, like building codes or, or local regulations that actually pre would prevent you from putting in a raised bed in your garden and growing some tomato. It's, I'm, it's I'm not surprised, but it's so shocking. Mm. I mean, it is a luxury. If you have space and, and space to grow, uh, that's, that's a real luxury. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised that more people aren't turning over their own gardens to production of fruit and veg in a time like this because, as you say, I, th I think that hard times are coming. No, you're absolutely right. Self-reliance and resilience is absolutely what they sought to destroy and this mm. is what we need to bring back. And I'd love to see actually an article in uh, one of your next issues on growing things. Fermented yes. foods is actually a very good topic as well. Yes, well, I'm, I'm actually, I am actually thinking of doing a further, another cookbook that perhaps has recipes for things like sauerkraut in and, and, and other stuff like that. So I, I, but yes, I could definitely get some stuff like that in the magazine and I would like to have a, I do have some friends on Twitter who are sort of homesteaders and I'm sure I could get somebody to write a, probably even a, like a regular column about life on the homestead and what it's like to produce more or less all of your own food. I would be so interested in reading that, and I assume in the times we are in and people waking up, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Well, you'll have to come back as soon as your new cookbook is released or for the next man's issue as well. Yep, We'll have I will. to make this a regular. Of course, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Noah. Always with you too, Ren. I actually love speaking to my friends on the phone and catching up, so I guess I'll uh, speak to you very soon, for sure, yep. and I'll see you on Twitter. Yeah, you too. Take care, Noah. You too. Bye, Ren. Bye. Bye.